Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. In this episode, we're going to be talking about civil unrest is optimism. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you'd like more information or to book a training, go to my website at www.drbconnections.com. This episode was recorded on June 23rd, 2020 during a Facebook Live series. Without further ado, let's kick it over to the episode. How can we feel optimistic with all the civil unrest and COVID-19 just chaos running rampant in our world at the moment? So I feel like that is a question that people have, because how do you feel optimistic when there's so much going on that feels so bad and negative? But the amazing thing about optimism is that it leads to activism. And so there's no reason, there wouldn't be any reason for people to protest police brutality against black men and women if they didn't believe that positive change could come from it or positive change could happen. So really like dig deep, like you have to think about this, this optimism in the face of adversity is a real, is really what optimism is. So from a neuropsychological perspective, this is the best thing that could be happening right now. Like this is so good that we have protests happening right now in the face of a global pandemic, it it tells us that people are activated and they're expressing their activism, which is a huge part of optimism. So why? Why does that make things better? Because activism is happening during a time of crisis. And so I know it sounds crazy and it almost sounds like counterproductive, but just go with me for a minute. I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk you down a, a story or two this morning. So we can't deny that slavery and horrific treatment of Africans first who are brought to America for labor and then bred in America to, to create a free workforce to build economic wealth for whites. All right, there's just no arguing that. That is what slavery is, all right? So I'm gonna tell you a true story that I heard or I read, um, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. So this true story is about how black women were put into prison cells with men to be raped. And the ones who became pregnant had their babies 
and they raised their babies until they were 10 years old. So if you happen to have a child and you remember them at 10 years old, like let your mind go to that space, like my 10-year-old child, my 10-year-old sweet baby. And then they stole those babies. They took those 10-year-olds and they sold them as slaves, mostly to the guards in the prisons. Okay, I'm just gonna take a moment because that story just haunts my soul. And, and it's not even my story. Like, it didn't even happen to me or to my relatives, all right? It's just a horrible, horrible story, and it's true. So if that story were part of my history, I can only imagine the rage and the fury that I would feel. Like, I feel rage and fury, and it didn't even happen to me. So the brain now, stop arguing, stop the arguing brain, because the arguing brain and our confirmation bias wants to find reasons to deny why this isn't our fault as white, as you know, the white community or white people. But this is undeniable, like it happened and probably people in our history of relatives participated in it. So we all just as optimistic people need to sit with our discomfort at this story, all right? This is, this is what we need to do. We need to just be real, hear that story, and let it make us feel uncomfortable. Like, I feel uncomfortable even repeating that story. So <clears throat> it makes us as whites feel like, I didn't do that. Like, don't blame me for what somebody else did. But that's not helpful, that isn't helpful at all. Right, of course, you didn't do it. But it doesn't mean that it didn't happen and it wasn't painful for somebody else. And in the grand scheme of things, I would argue that it's painful for everybody. It's painful for humanity that that happened. So someone in our history did do that. Like this was somebody's plan and they, act, they, they carried out this plan and did this horrific thing. And, these, and many other horrific things. We're starting to really reveal many stories that as, as a white person in my 50s, half a century old, you know, there are stories that I had no idea of. So my job now is to learn the history, the black history and the history of whites from a real accurate perspective, not this, you know, sugar-coated, we're all so wonderful, found America and lived happily ever after. That's not our story. So today we try to imagine the horror and just feel the regret and the pain and the compassion for the women and children and the whole group, like everybody who participated in this but particularly the women and children who were torn apart and raped and, you know, their babies were stolen. Like, we just need to sit with our uncomfortableness and feel that compassion for the people who really endured this atrocity. I mean, that's the only word I can think of is that it is an, an atrocity. And so that's it. For now, just hear the stories 
Hear all the stories. Let people share the stories. You read the stories and feel the pain and find your empathy. Now, I know what you're probably thinking is like, what the heck? This is not optimistic. How is she calling herself a delusional optimist when she's telling us this sad, terrible story? But here's here it is. We're going to keep going. Just bear with me here. Too many people respond to these kinds of horrific white secrets in a way that's defensive. They say things like, well, that was a long time ago, or I didn't do that, like my family didn't do that. And these blacks in this time, they didn't experience that, so it's not doesn't affect them. Okay, so that's what I mean by confirmation. Like, don't go to your defensiveness, don't go to your confirmation bias, and don't say these dumb things. So <clears throat> just sit and feel what that would be like if it were you or somebody that you love. That, that's it. So delusional optimists, here's where we get into it. Delusional optimists are active. They're thinkers, they're feelers, and they're doers. And they come in all colors and they come in all ethnicities. So there isn't this good, bad, you know, these people, those people, us, them. Optimists come in all ethnicities, period. And as we know from past podcast episodes or Facebook Lives, we know that trauma is carried genetically through, uh, carried through our genes. Trauma isn't a gene in and of itself. It is an epigenetic tag. So trauma like the horrors of slavery, are carried forward as an epigenetic tag to future generations. So no, they did not, somebody didn't necessarily experience that trauma. But if you have a person in the past who did experience a trauma, there is a very strong likelihood that they pass that epigenetic tag on to you and you have some of their trauma carried in your body. And so you have to go back. I can't explain epigenetics in you know a quick five minutes here, but you, there's two episodes at least that you can go back and listen to or you can Google it. So, And no, white people do not escape their role in this history. Like we just don't get to escape it. We don't get to say, oh, that was a long time ago. Because white people also carry their epigenetic tags forward. So, so we have to understand our role in this history in order to move forward. Oh, So, of course, not all white people are good or bad. Not all black people are good or bad. Not all people of any ethnicity or color or shade of skin are good or bad. It's just that's not the thing about who humans are. However, however, there is injustice and inequity and a huge power differential that has been, that has to be really reckoned with. And the time is now, like we're reckoning with that right now in our history. All of this info, I know, seems to totally fly in the face of optimism, right? I get it, I get it. But, you're, but it's wrong, like that's wrong. The protesters, the peaceful protests that are going on, the activation of people of all races 
are in the streets. During a pandemic, a global pandemic, demanding change. Okay, does it get more optimistic than that? Like, I can really feel and see the anger, but it's also an excitement that something can be, and the expectation is that the world will be different. We're done. This is it. We're not going to continue to perpetuate that epigenetic trauma. It's time to make things different. So change to systems, and the demand is that we want to change systems that have been in place for centuries. We want to change the justice system, the judicial system, the education system, how we do policing, how laws are carried out. I mean, these are massive, massive systemic changes, and people are in the streets during a global pandemic saying, no more. It's time. That is optimism, people. That is what optimism is, exactly. So, no more. The outcomes have to be good for everyone because people are powerful and optimism activates the body and the mind to move forward in ways that are positive, even when their safety is threatened. So think about it. We have thousands of people protesting for days and days and days. It's the longest protest ever in my lifetime, continuously. Now, people are mostly, mostly practicing safe, peaceful protests. They're wearing masks. They're doing as much social distancing as possible. They are not, you know, okay, again, don't let the confirmation bias or the defensiveness jump into the brain because that's fear. Yes. Did a police station get burned down? It did. Do we know who did it? Was it all the peaceful protesters? No, it wasn't. So we have to look at the grand scheme of things in the big picture of what's happening. For the most part, the protests have been peaceful and the aggression has actually been on the policing side. Not all of it. There have also been great acts of compassion and kindness on the policing side. However, we have to look at the big, big picture. And this is really optimistic and positive that people are out and willing to fight for change, fight for justice and equality at a time when it's super dangerous. It says, I'm not beat. I'm not I'm not so undone about what's going on in the world that I don't still believe that good things can happen and change. Fear is the lowest, the lowest response that the brain has. Like fear, it's a reaction. It requires absolutely not one moment of thinking. So so fear is our lowest common denominator. Like fear is just your body says go and you go or you freeze or you fight. Like, that's it. The lowest brain activation you can possibly have is in, in the state of fear. So, but let's talk about the peaceful protests for a minute. Peaceful protests are neurologically taking place in the prefrontal cortex, all right? So we always talk about the brain here, and the brain is in service of survival. So when we're in service of survival, if we're scared, we activate by doing fight, flight, freeze. 
But if we're in our prefrontal cortex, which pre which peaceful protesters are, they're operating from their executive functions, the part of the brain that is responsible for reasoning, problem solving, planning, the thinking part of our brain. The thinkers of us who are optimists are saying, this is not okay anymore. This is, we're done. It, things have to be different. This is the part of the brain that invites us. It invites us to put on our rose-colored glasses and imagine the future that we want. That's optimism. This is at the soul. I mean, this is at the soul of what optimism is. So let's go. Let's do it. I invite all my white brothers and sisters to learn black history. I signed up for an app that tells me, that sends me a little mini video every single day of a person in history who's black who did something, you know, that I probably have no idea about. And now I'm just thinking, wow, it's so amazing how much I, you know, we don't know about our history. And that hasn't been reported. I'm kind of mad at my education that it's so, you know, sugary sweet. I just, I'm, I'm kind of mad about that. And I kind of feel naive that I have bought into that, that I bought into it for as long as I did. I'm not saying that I have already bought into that for the last decade or so, but I haven't been pushed hard enough to really dig deeper like I am being pushed now. And I'm pushing myself as well. So learn black history, learn all history, learn history in the context of what history is. That history is the reporting of things that happened in the past. We need to tell the whole story. So we owe this to humanity. It's painful, but it allows us to move forward as one human society, not divided, and not valued by our ethnicity or our skin tone. So that's kind of what I woke up to this morning was like, how in the world does a delusional optimist really, really, how do we explain that in a time when we are at a peak in, of civil unrest and a global pandemic? And so that was what I was really pushed to think about today and write about today and really capture what that looks like and feels like in the brain. So when I woke up this morning, I had a whole different topic in mind, and but then I got stuck on this, and this happens to me some of the time, where I just need to make sense out of something in the world for myself, and one of the things is it seems so... Uh, it seems so almost wrong to be optimistic about all of these negative things that are happening in society right now. And at the same time, I feel so such deep excitement that things really, really are going to change and that, that I get to be part of that history and be part of the right side of history. And at the same time of doing that, remember, optimism is activation. It makes us do things that maybe we wouldn't do if we felt more pessimistic, where we would just be flat and, and deflated and not able to do something and move forward. So that's, that's something, too, that we really need to teach our children, 
is like how their activism and how their actions are optimism and how they can predict their expectations. And that's also optimistic. So when you think about it and thinking about how this translates down into children and what they're thinking, allowing them to participate in conversations that that take on the full scope, but also allow them the opportunity to activate something in order to do something to move forward for the better. It can be something very small because they're littles and, or it can be something, you know, bigger. It just depends on where you are and who your family is and in the whole big picture. The other thing is that it's so important. I brought this up before, but it's even more important now because I have been getting some pushback from people in my sort of social group. They're not people that I necessarily hang out with, but they are people that I know or sort of know from Facebook in a long time back. And and I can feel the tension around the the whole my position on black lives matter or my position on racism and equality versus the whole you know what well at least we live in america stuff like that and so what i want to say to that is that it's so important to just have the conversations people like to throw out one liners like, you know, make America great again. You know, okay, well, what the hell does that mean, make America great again? Sure, in on its face value, when it's unattached to anything that we know that it gets attached to, the MAGA peep, people, that's a great, you know, that sounds like a great thing. But wait a second, when was America great? When we had slaves? Okay, that wasn't my America that's great. When when is America great right now? We have children in cages on the border. Like, okay, let's make America great and just drop the again. Let's just be mag um, because we have the opportunity to make great changes for the good of all people and not just the good of a particular group. Nobody's going to lose anything by bringing more people in. We only gain when we add people to the community and when we learn about things that are different because it opens up our mind and our brain to actually experience the world in a whole new way. So I will never think, this is what, this is what came to me. I, for those of you who know, and I'm gonna wrap up here pretty quick. For those of you who know me, you know I was in Kenya in July of last year. And I met someone in Kenya, a friend of mine, who I now consider a very dear friend of mine, who is African. And so, and she's a mama. And then she has a mama. And we've all become friends in this time. And then I have friends who are mamas who also happen to be black. So, and I was thinking about this and that story about, you know, having your 10-year-old sold. And I thought, okay, my... I'm horrified by that as a white mom. I know that my friend in Africa would be equally horrified if that were her child being sold. I'm sure her mother 
would have been horrified if she at 10 years old were sold. And I know that my black friends who are moms would also be just as horrified and destroyed if their 10-year-old children were sold. So what does that say about us? It says that we're not, like our skin tone is just so irrelevant to the globe. What's relevant is our depth and ability to weave ourselves together with compassion and love and to stand up and fight. Like today I know that if anybody wanted to sell my friend's child at 10 years old, I'd be like, I'd be out fighting. Like there is no way I would be, well, obviously none of us would be on board with that today. But even so, I'm, there are other things that are happening and that's how we're getting That's why we're getting protesters of all colors and all ethnicities on the street saying, you know what, we really need to look at our world in a different way. We need to build the one that we all can live in together, equally, justly, in a loving way, in a compassionate way, because it's optimism and empathy that breed a good humanity. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print.